0: So, Sarah and Andrew stood right at this spot eight days ago, and Sarah and Andrew tied their hearts together forever. They'd been chasing each other for five years, and perhaps I should define chase. The characteristic of chase is simply this, that you do whatever is necessary to get the obstacles out of the way that keep your hearts from connecting. And so somewhere in those five years, they began to date exclusively each other. So they would share their thoughts, and they would share their dreams for the future, and others were not privy to those moments. And then as they stood here a week ago this last Saturday, their covenant agreement in that wedding ceremony sealed that exclusivity. So now they've begun this process, this journey of a life, a love, A home that is exclusively theirs and no one else is involved in the intimacies of that place, of that heart. We all, a bunch of us were here for the wedding ceremony and then a bunch of us were at the reception. But not one of us was invited to go on the honeymoon. (laughs) Exclusivity. It was fun watching Sarah. I have never seen a more outwardly excited bride in my life. She was standing here. We got to the point where I asked, What do you bring as a token of your love? And they're both supposed to say, A ring. And normally the bride and groom go, A ring. Sarah said, A ring! (laughs) So we got through that. And then we got to the part about, Because you now have joined right hands. And I get to the spot where I pronounce them husband and wife. and, And by that point, we had to just kind of peel her off the ceiling. She was so pumped. It was so cool. For Sarah, the chase is not over. There's a continued process of that, of that heart and her and, and Andrew's heart coming together. And her living is living proof of that. So we've been talking in these last weeks about this, the cross. The cross and the resurrection of Jesus, him coming out of that tomb our living proof of his great love for us. And we're excited about it. We're excited about it this morning. We sang about it. We jumped up and down about it. We, 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 we worshiped about it. We're, we're, just, we're, we're, we're just pumped about it. But it's not over. We are still in the chase. We're still in the process of getting out from our lives any obstacle between God's heart and our heart joining together and uniting together. So if we love this magnificent chase that we're on, then our living is absolutely living proof of that chase. And that's the difficult part. Most people think a church gathering like this or a church is that sing about it, talk about it, pray about it, get excited about it, and then we're done. The toughest part is the living proof part. So when the church says to us, you can't get drunk, when it says you can't have multiple sex partners, when it says you've got to take care of your body and be healthy and you shouldn't be obese, when it says that you shouldn't work continuously seven days a week, we have a tendency to look at that organization and say, man, you guys are killjoys, you're prudes, you're legalistic, you're close-minded, you're lazy. And to that, Paul the Apostle would respond, then you have no idea what the cross and the resurrection truly mean. Our living expresses what we believe about the resurrection. What you did this week and how you did it is proof of what you think about the resurrection. And that's what Paul had in mind when he wrote these words to his friends in Corinth. And I want you to see them, they're on your notes, you can see on the screen. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves, those who indulge, excuse me, who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexual sexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right by God. Or with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul says, I want you to understand that here's a list of things that breaks God's heart. Because he's been chasing us and made himself available so that we could find him. You say, But wait, wait, wait. I, you know, I see that list, but don't you know that God is love? And because God is love that, you know, we'll mess up and and we'll do some stuff, but at the end, he's just going to say, hey, everybody, come on home because I'm love. Well, I want to tell you that because of his love, the door is always open to home. But there are certain things that he will not allow happening in his home. And so... Paul says, here is a list, a sample list of those actions that are not not allowed. And we say, but but that's that's judgmental, that's closed-minded. I understand. I mean, you want judgmental and closed-minded, come to my house. My wife will not allow me to chew my food and spit it on the floor. (laughs) And I think that's rather closed-minded. She will not allow me to take a magic marker and write profanity on the living room walls. And I think that's rather judgmental. She will not allow me to put polish off my hands when I polish my shoes on her white shirts, and I just think that's selfish. She will not allow me to raise emus in the sunroom. I know. And I'm not allowed to invite another woman into our bedroom to sleep with us, and I think that's rather judgmental and close-minded. Let us pray. (laughs) But you see, the issue is this those are the house rules for this covenant house. So, when Paul the Apostle writes to his friends in Rome, he says, I want to tell you the house rules of God's house. He said, It's not me, it's God, his rules. And he said, the problem you're dealing with in Rome is that there has become a standard given to you by those who don't live in the house. But they're telling you what your lifestyle should be like and it's infiltrating your thinking. In fact, he said, here's what God has done and you'll find it in Romans, the first chapter, if you want to peruse through it this afternoon. He says, this thinking has come to the place because God allows us free will, free choice he said, God has turned them over to an unfit mind. What does that mean, unfit mind? It means it does not fit in God's house. And it reaches the apex of frustration for Paul and pain for God when he says not only do they do what they want to do, but then they approve others who do it. He says not only do they do what is not allowed in God's house, but now they've endeavored to change the moral compass. So that which is good now is bad, and that which was bad now is good. And it's infiltrated you. He said, the problem is, the list I've given you, you think you can go out and have multiple sex partners and come and worship God, and it's all cool, but not in God's house. That you can live a life of, of gluttony, not in God's house. That you can, you can be drunk all the time, not in God's house. That you can gossip on other people and tear their, their reputations not in God's house. In fact, Paul goes on to tell the Romans, he said, Therefore, if you have come in contact with the resurrection power of Jesus, then do not be conformed to this world, that unfit thinking, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Have a new way of thinking so that when people look at you, they'll say, This is resurrection. See, when we think of resurrection power, we think, yes. In the end, when Jesus comes and gets us, we all have new bodies, and we go. Yeah, that's resurrection power. Absolutely. Or because we prayed for somebody and they got healed, that's resurrection power. We leave it there. Paul said that when you come in contact with resurrection power, it will be seen in the fact that it will fuse through your thinking so that it affects your moral character. And people will look at the way you live and say, now there is resurrection power. He said, don't you understand that we all called on Jesus to bring us into relationship with God, and God did it through his Holy Spirit? It was in the scripture we just read. He said, as a result of that, he cleansed us. The word means that he totally wiped all the filth off of us. Don't you understand that's what he did? That he made us Holy. The word means that he put us in God's house. Not only did he put us in God's house, he said that he made us right, which gives us the qualifying ability to be in the house and to live according to the house rules that we find this incredible freedom in God. So we have this freedom. And Paul says, I want to warn you when you talk about freedom that we do not twist God's intentions and do what we shouldn't do under the heading of freedom in Jesus. And so then he describes what he sees as he furthers his conversation in 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, the 12th verse. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food, and this is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies, and God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. The Corinthians had already taken a slogan of Paul's and made it a theological statement and twisted his words. They said, because I'm in Jesus, everything is permissible for me. So, you know, I've got Jesus in my life and he forgave me for my sins so I can just go do my thing because I'll see him forever. He said, I didn't tell you that. He said, I talked to you about the fact that things are permissible for you in those disputable matters of conscience, specifically what day you worship, what food you eat, what you drink. He said, those things, those are disputable matters of conscience and he gives them instruction how we deal with that. But he said, when it comes to the ethics, the morality in our life, He said, my concern is this, that your freedom will actually be the thing that enslaves you. That you'll become addicted to being whatever you want to be because Jesus rose from the grave. That it will become that which enslaves you. And instead of enjoying what you should be enjoying, you're enjoying the freedom when you have lost the chase. When you've lost the ability to get all the obstacles out of your way so that the heart of God and your heart can join together. It's that whole garden thing from the very beginning. God took our mother and father and put them in the garden and said, you see all this freedom? You see that you can walk with me and we can have heart-to-heart connection? So I'm telling you, enjoy that, except for that right there. Don't mess with that because that will destroy you. It will come between you and me, so don't touch it. So we see the freedom that God has given us and say, I can do all this stuff because I go to church and I worship. And Paul says, all of that's great, but if you touch what is not to be touched, it becomes an obstacle between you and God. See, I, I can say to Pam, I'm free. And I am. I can raise emus in the sunroom. I can write profanity on the living room walls. I can bring a girlfriend into our bedroom. I can do that. But I can tell you in a very short amount of time, it will no longer feel like home. And you're invited to my funeral. (laughs) Because there soon will be an absence of a presence that made it home. Because those are not the rules of the covenant and she will distance herself from me. So I can say to Pam, but Pam, our hearts, no one has my heart but you. You have my heart. And the whole extramarital sex thing, that was just my body. It's just a body thing, and it's just casual sex. And she'll say to me, but don't you forget June 5th, 1976, when we stood there, and you and I agreed to a covenant that that, that I got you and you got me, and when I got you, I got all of you, including your body. That's why Paul the Apostle would write to the church in Corinth, and he said, you married people, you need to have sexual intimacy. And the only time you should really excuse yourselves from doing that is when you're in fasting and prayer. Other than that, understand that lady, that man's body belongs to you, and Mr., uh, that lady's body belongs to you, so take care of each other because you have been joined as one. And so when I made a covenant vow to Pam, she got all of me, including my body. So when you stood before God and through Jesus Christ said, I want a relationship with you, I want to connect with you, Jesus stakes a claim on our bodies. He says, I want all of you. I'm just not taking part of you. I want all of you. And and these folks here in Corinth were arguing. They said, well, hey, look, food for the stomach, stomach for the food, It's just an appetite thing, and one day we're going to be put in the ground, and it's all going to dissolve anyhow, so it's no big deal. It's not lasting, so go ahead. And all appetites are basically the same. So sex for the body, body for the sex, and so great. And then one day we're all going to die, and it's just physical, so no big deal. And Paul says, no, 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 you don't understand. The body belongs to the Lord to this one who rules and whom you've given your life to. What Jesus did on that cross was not, I want your heart. I don't care what you do with your bod. Because right after his resurrection, he shows up and, and he reveals himself to his disciples. And he says, give me something to eat so I'll show you that I, this body is like your body in this respect that I eat. But then he just kind of walks through a wall, which we can't do. And he said, that's the resurrected body. It's different than your body, but it still is the body. And you got one coming. Christ's resurrection stamps the body as belonging to God forever. It belongs to him. In fact, he says this, I take my spirit and I put it in your body as a deposit of the fact that I get it forever. In fact, he calls this body the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it is not disposable. Jesus stakes a claim on your body. If he does that, then understand that resurrection sanctions our lifestyle. So we're all aware, especially in this region of the United States, that a certain NFL quarterback is in trouble. He's involved himself now where there have been two claims made against him for sexual assault. Those who have investigated said that there's not enough to go to court and prove beyond a reasonable doubt. But those also who have investigated said something has happened and it's not right. So the NFL and the team is coming together to make a joint statement. In essence, what they're going to say is, Mr. Quarterback, the lifestyle you're living is not sanctioned by us. And you can't live this way if you're going to be part of us. When you connected with the resurrected Jesus, he's saying, I will show you the lifestyle that I sanction. And if you're going to be one of us, this is the way you live. And it will be demonstrated, this resurrection life will be demonstrated by how healthy you are and by the fact that how you live is proof of how we live in God's home. So he describes it this way in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 16. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? And should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. God loves what he created in marriage. He loves marriage sex. I've already told you that Paul gave words for God, said, hey, you two come together. He he loves that part because when two come together in covenant relationship, the two shall become one flesh, and it's demonstrated in, in the physical act of what's happening in the totality of the person. Now, the amazing thing about the sexual act, the physical demonstration of what's happening in this whole relational covenant agreement is this the characteristic? Is this that if you're married, mister, and you're in Schenectady, New York, and your wife is in Savannah, Georgia, you can't have sex? It's physically impossible, not the kind that God designed. You have got to be close to each other. In fact, for this to function, there can be no obstacles between you for that kind of intimacy, and in that moment. There's not only a physical connection, a touching of the hearts, a touching of the body, there is this this spiritual dynamic between the two that become one with each other. God loves that. And he says, this is why I love it. Because it's a demonstration of how much Jesus loves his church and the intimacy that Jesus wants with you. That there would be no obstacle between you, that you'd be heart to heart, touch to touch. And at that moment that you do that, you take part of his spirit and you become a temple of the Holy Spirit. So now let's get down to some very basics. If that is what God desires and for us to be one with him and that happens in our intimacy with him. And Paul says the danger is that there's a standard around you that's trying to infiltrate the home where God is and where you live and understand that what's out here you can't do and still be here he explains it this way and he uses a prostitute as an example but it is intended to be sexual relationship outside of covenant relationship marriage and he's talking about sexual relationship with anybody outside of marriage he's talking about everything that leads up to intercourse he's dealing with oral sex and you're going to either believe God or Clinton you take a choice here But if you become one with God, in fact, it's described this way, you're part of his body. You are a limb of his body. And Paul says, how can you take a limb of that body and join it to someone in a sexual relationship outside of marriage? Because when you do, that limb becomes part of that person. So can you take what belongs to God and put it with a prostitute? Because when you say that, you're saying that Jesus would do the same not in God's house. He said, you can't do that. You you, you cannot explain your way out of this. This is what God has intended. He said, don't you understand that when we've come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we connected ourselves to the resurrected body of Jesus, the one raised from the dead, and the body is for the Lord. And that's tough for us because we live in a culture that is just so anti-Jesus in this respect. You're, you're going to be hard-pressed to find any television program that honors what happens in God's house. You, you can't even go down the street and see a billboard that doesn't tell you sex, 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 sex. It's, it's all there. So how do you stay pure? Because the resurrected body says here's how it is in Jesus' house, not how it is in the world's house. How do we keep Pure. And i got to tell you, it's more than cold showers and an accountability person. It has to do with what Paul said, the rethinking of the mind. Where you put your mind. A follower of Jesus named John had this incredible revelation of what was going to happen in the end of the world. And in that revelation, because it was not chronological, there are a lot of things that he sees. And one of the things he says he saw was when Satan rebelled against God... And God threw Satan and his followers out of heaven. And in doing that, in in the explanation that John gives, he says, now here's what happened to Satan, and here's how we fight him because how evil he is. And so he describes this in Revelation, the 12th chapter, the 10th verse, and here's what he says. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So Satan has been thrown down to this earth and here he corrupts it. Jesus shows up on this earth and says, he has tempted you. You gave way to him. You've given him authority over you in this world. I've come back to take that authority. And I want you to pray, come your kingdom, be done your will on earth as it is in heaven. God, how we live up there with you and those, the, all that is happening where you live, we want to bring your house down here where your house is not. In my home or in my work or wherever that is, I want to bring that here now, you. And God says, okay, good. It's going to happen through you. I'm going to use you to establish my home in that spot. So how do we live his house in this community? I want to give you some very practical steps this morning. The first is this. According to this scripture we've just read, fight temptation by Jesus' payment. God has put some very strong, legitimate desires in us. But they can be twisted. They can be changed so that they become extremely unhealthy for us. And that, I'll give a term called lust. And I like the way that U Specialties describes lust. And I think it's on your notes. It's simply this. I like it becomes I want it. I want it becomes I need it. I need it becomes you owe it to me, which becomes, never mind, I'll just take it. That's lust. So how do we deal with that? How many of you have ever had lust in your life? Some of you say, he's going to call on me. I know he is. No, I'm not. So how do we deal with that? What happens when we give way to that? Here's what they did to overcome the enemy. I recall a time that Pam and I both were working very hard and and she she really keeps a clean house. She was raised that way, and she just does it. The house is just immaculately clean all the time. And in fact, she, she looks at it and says it 's dirty in my eyes it 's just so clean and it 's just it 's just a guy thing girl thing i think and and so she was saying. I'm working all these hours and you're working all these hours and I don't have time to clean the house and it's just, I, I just hate this. And I, so I thought I'd surprise her and, but I needed to check with her first so I said, listen, next week because we're both working so many hours I'm going to hire somebody to come in to clean the house. I thought she'd love that. You know what she said? She said, no. I said, why? She said, because I don't have time to clean it before they get here. <laughs> I said, I'm not sure you're catching the concept. She said, No, I'm not going to have anybody ever see the house this dirty. I'm cleaning it before they get here. Said, I'm not sure we're doing this right. Some of you sit here today and you say, I have so offended God that I don't want Jesus to see me. And if I can get myself cleaned up, then I'll present myself before Jesus. What do you think he's supposed to do? We have overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb. And even if it's habitual sin that you keep recurring and struggling against, and you say, oh, man, that's the 12th time this month. I can't go back to him again. Why can't you? His forgiveness covers every sin. He didn't give you a quota. He didn't say, after six times, you're not covered. Satan wants to say to you, not covered. What I want to encourage you to do is the moment you know you have sinned and and whether you know all of a sudden it's more than deception, you went it with your eyes wide open, you go to Jesus and say, I need your blood to cover me. Because the longer it stays in there, the more ingrained it becomes. So I want to give you good news. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us for our sins and cleanse us from all impurity. And that scripture is in the context of talking to believers. Go to him immediately and say, please forgive me and get it out of your life. The only way you're going to overcome him is to apply that sacrifice to your sin immediately. Secondly, fight accusations by declaring the truth. Are you like me that when you sin, you beat yourself up emotionally and start to feel shame? You ever feel that? And you know what the temptation is? The temptation is that you now uh, have, have reasoned in your being that you've got to feel bad about this for a while and if you feel bad about it long enough, and you do, you say, okay, I've got to feel bad about this and, and you beat yourself up and, and you hope that one day you'll feel better and you feel horrible and you feel worthless and somewhere down the road you'll quit feeling that way and then when you quit feeling that way, you know God will take care of you. Then what's the cross for? If you can do this by yourself, then you don't need Jesus. And you don't need the resurrection. But you can't get rid of that. So, what we've got to do is we've got to say here's what the scripture says. Look, the scripture said that Satan is not only a tempter, but he's an accuser. And he'll say to you, Jesus won't cover all of that. He's not going to cover you, but you need to feel guilty and rotten for a while. And Jesus says, no, I've got you covered. So what you do is that you not only overcome him by the blood of the lamb, but by the word of your testimony. And the word of my testimony is this. I am a sinner. I messed up. But if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me for my sins. I'm a new creature. And I start quoting all those things that I know are in his word and are truth. And I begin to declare those things. And when I declare them and apply them, Satan has no place to launch from. You've got to do it. Thirdly, there are all those things that get pretty deep in us, and they're tough. We call them strongholds. Fight strongholds by killing bad thinking. The renewal of the mind. I appreciate the, the description of what a stronghold is by Neil Anderson, who says this. Strongholds are negative patterns of thought burned into our minds, either through repetition or through one-time traumatic experiences. we all got those things that just don't seem to go away. They're there, and we battle them. So how do we get rid of those? Well, I want to tell you, first of all, that you don't have the power to do that. Neither do I. But Jesus' resurrection power does, so I need to be where that power is because Jesus takes care of that. So what do I do? Well, let me give you some steps. First of all, meditate on who the Holy Scriptures say we are. Find out who He says we are and begin to proclaim those things. Paul said that we take captive every stronghold, every thought. So, you take the scripture, and when Satan says to you, oh, you know, you, you've got to do this habitually for the rest of your life, you say, Oh, no, 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 here's what the scripture says. When he says you'll never be forgiven, you say, Oh, no, this is what the scripture says. When it says you're always going to have this attitude, say, No, 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 this is what the scripture says. Meditate on it and let it take root in you. Number two, recognize that the Holy Spirit is already power filling us, it's already there. the the resurrection power is already in you greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world Paul the apostle said to the church at Philippi continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to do his good purpose meaning this that when you decide that you want to change and you take that first step it says God increases his energy in you and the desire to complete what you started so okay Holy Spirit Wipe the stuff out of me. Thirdly, remove ourselves from the possibility of temptation. Look, if you're having trouble with porno and it's on your computer, then either, if you're married, say, say to your spouse, check history every day. Make sure. Or... If you're, if you're single, or you just can't do that with your spouse, and go to a site like Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes will register everything that is inappropriate and send it to somebody to look at, to let them not, not to look at the actual site, but to tell them you're on the site so that you're held accountable. And if you still can't do it, then get rid of the computer. Jesus said, "Cut off your arm if it'll save you. Get it out of there." Fourthly, for stubborn issues. Seek help from a counselor or a deliverance team. We have some wonderful counselors in this city that we like to refer people to that believe this. We'll get you there. We have this wonderful system called Cleansing Stream that deals with these issues, and you've heard it announced, you go, oh man, if I do that, they're gonna deal with the issue. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Hello? How desperate do you want to have the obstacles between your heart and God's removed? We even have some some teams of people that it's really intense. We'll sit down and work with you individually to walk that through so you don't have an excuse. The body's here to help you. The word of the testimony, the power of the blood, and he said, and they did not shrink from death. So what we need to say is whatever is killing my relationship with God, God, I give you permission to kill out of my life and I don't shrink from it because that's the only way it's coming out. don't don't complete that that definition Einstein's definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again expecting the same results don't do that it's time to change you say but that's such a big battle why do I go through all this battle all I can tell you is this that we're on this magnificent chase and the obstacles need to be removed and God loves us enough to bring us home and the question is this do we love him enough to keep it that way that choice is ours
1: There's just one more thing that I need to tell you about. One day I found Jesus waiting for me at the door when I came home. And there was this uh, this arresting look in his eye. As I came inside he said to me, "You know, there's a peculiar odor in this house. There's something dead around here. It's um it's upstairs. I think it's in the hall closet." As, as soon as he said this, I knew exactly what he was talking about. Yes, there there was this small closet uh, up there on the landing. It's just a few square feet. And, and in that closet, in that closet behind lock and key, I have, I have one or two little personal things that I don't want anyone to know about. And I certainly didn't want Christ to see them. I knew that they were they were dead, rotting things that were left over from my old life. But, but I loved them, and I wanted them for myself, and, and I was afraid to admit that they were there. So reluctantly, I, I went up to him and I said, Let's go upstairs. But as, the, as we went up the stairs, the odor got stronger and stronger and then he pointed at the door it's in there there's something dead in there I was so angry I guess that's the only way that I can put it you know, I'd given him access to the kitchen and and to the family room and and to my living room and and to my bedroom and and even to my study and and now he's asking me about this this little 2 by 4 closet I said to myself this is just too much I am not going to give you the key. Well, he said, reading my thoughts, if you think I'm going to stay up here on the second floor with this odor, you're mistaken. I'll, I'll just take my bed out to the back porch. I, I just can't put up with this odor. And then I saw him turn and leave. When you've come to know and to love Jesus, the worst thing that can happen is to sense that his fellowship is retreating from you. I had to surrender. Jesus, I'll give you the key, I said sadly. But Lord, you'll have to open the closet and to clean it out. I haven't the strength to do it. I know, he said. I know you haven't. Just give me the key. Please authorize me to take care of this closet and I'll do it. So I passed him the key and he took it from my hand. And he walked over to the door, and he opened it, and he entered it, and he, and he took out all that putrefying, rotten stuff, and he just threw it away. And then he cleaned the closet, and he painted it, and he fixed it up, doing it all in a moment's time. You have no idea how awesome it is to have all that dead stuff out of my life.
0: so here's the truth there are lifestyles that cannot exist in God's house it doesn't make him less loving it just makes him truthful he doesn't leave us just lost in our stuff his death and resurrection made it possible for all of that to be removed and cleansed and now we've got to trust him to do it Is there stuff there that needs to be cleaned out and have you given him the key? Because his resurrection power wants to change you. So in just a moment, I'm going to have you stand in a few moments and invite you that would like to just spend a little time with God and talk about this issue to come and spend some time here. Jenny's going to do some singing and leading us in worship. If you want to know more about a relationship with God through Jesus about how to begin this process, stop by our information desk, we have a gift for you and some folks there will talk to you about that. But we want to help you in that journey. And this week, let the resurrection of Jesus be seen in the way you live because that's the proof. That is the living proof. We're on this magnificent chase. Will you stand, please? So now may you discover the joy of trusting Jesus The energy that comes from His power as He releases us from the stuff that just tears away at us. May you walk in His freedom today and find all that He has planned for you. And may you have clarity as to what is in His house and what is not. And that you will draw close to Him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in.